I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge from WNIJ. And if this is your first time hearing our show, good news. It's a really simple idea. We've all had teachers in our lives who helped us become who we are today. And every educator we have on this podcast, whether a teacher, coach, or professor, is nominated by the folks who listen. So we want you to be a part of this show with us. Please do tell us about the educators who've inspired you and the folks in your community who deserve a spotlight. You can email us through nominations and your story ideas at teacherslounge at niu.edu. This week, we're chatting with Mira Church. She teaches fifth grade at the Cicero School District. She's been a teacher for around a decade, and her career has already taken her around the world. She spent three years teaching in Shanghai at a school she absolutely loved, but all that changed with the pandemic, where she got stranded back in the U.S. trying to remotely teach her kids in China. She's been back teaching in Chicago ever since, and Mira and I have a really important conversation about her experience overseas, teacher burnout, knowing your worth as a teacher, and the weight of representation in the classroom. I think it's a heavy burden as a teacher of color and almost always, except for I want to say the last two years where I was at a charter, I've always been one of the only teacher of color or the only teacher of color. I take it so seriously because a lot of times this is a child's first interaction with an African-American person or at least a positive role model unlike a stereotype which they may have seen it's nerve-wracking like i really try to put my best foot forward all the time we also talk about why she wanted to be a teacher in the first place and how her perception of education has changed with a decade of experience now that and so much more in my conversation with mira church but first we've got another education story we want to share Schools have a lot to offer. Classes, special education programs, sports, support for mental health, and and so much more. But what about small schools that can't offer everything? Many smaller, often rural schools resort to one of the first lessons they teach, sharing. Jennifer Wold starts her day teaching exploratory and intro to agriculture at the Leland School District, a small rural district in LaSalle County, and she teaches both middle and high school. Then, after a few classes, she gets in her car and drives six miles east to teach more high school ag and advise the FFA club at the Samanac School District. Wold is a shared teacher, and she wears both a Leland and Samanac lanyard to prove it. It's interesting because it's seven minutes apart, but it's a, it is a completely different dynamic. Shared teacher setups like this aren't very common, but Leland and Samanak already work together, so it made sense. They share sports teams and a food vendor. In fact, Leland and Samanak almost completely consolidated last year. The districts also share classes, like agriculture, so when Wold comes to Samanak, so do some of her Leland High School students. In fact, students from a third district, Sandwich, also come to Samanak for ag. It allows those districts to offer their students classes like plant science, food science, and ag mechanics that they otherwise couldn't. Class sharing does happen more frequently at smaller, often rural schools. Tim McConnell is the principal at Erie High School, a northern Illinois school about 20 minutes from the Mississippi River. They've had a sports co-op with nearby Prophetstown High School since the late 90s. But five years ago, they expanded the co-op to include everything, sports, activities, and academics. McConnell says the decision made a lot of sense for both sides, especially considering one factor. Our school enrollments, both in Prophetstown and in Erie, are steadily declining. So when I came here 22 years ago, 
as the principal, we were at 250 and now we're down to 190. The districts build their schedules together, so if an Erie student wants to take a class that their school doesn't offer, they can take it at Prophetstown and vice versa. They both offer dual credit opportunities students at either district can take. McConnell says as enrollment at districts like Erie shrink and it becomes more difficult to hire certain teaching positions, arrangements like this are going to become even more common. This type of education is going to only have to expand or, you know, students are going to be left without. And so people need to get on board with it and not be afraid of it. It's easy to do if you, you know, have the passion to get it done. Brian Dukes is the superintendent of the Earlville School District in LaSalle County. And he says collaboration is one of the most valuable tools he has in education. He'll borrow a good idea from anywhere. Earlville works with other districts on curriculum and various school programs. They also share school support staff with neighboring districts. For example, they've had a hard time filling their school psychologist position. So now they share a psychologist with two other districts. The district also shares a school resource officer and a special education coordinator, too. Duke says it allows them to maintain high-quality services and save some money. I think it's very likely there's going to come a time in the next two or three years that we're going to have to share teachers with other districts. Back in Samanac, Jennifer Wald agrees that sharing teachers can be a great opportunity for certain school districts. But in her own experience, there are some drawbacks. Last year, I had to work spring break because Leland and Samanac spring break did not match up. And because I'm the only shared employee, no one, it's almost like sometimes that gets forgotten. This year, she will at least have a spring break. Well, Maybe not a whole spring break because of FFA. I got it this year. Yeah, I'm going to run a contest, but that's my fault. And sometimes she feels torn between districts, like she's not 100% a part of either. She has to miss staff meetings moving between schools, but thankfully has co-teachers in both spots to keep her in the loop. And she feels like, even though it's not a perfect system, it does increase her ability to create unique and meaningful education experiences for her agriculture students at all our schools. All right, now it's time for our conversation with fifth grade teacher, Mira Church. Enjoy. I switched districts this year, and not only did I switch districts, but this is my eighth year in the classroom as the lead. I would say I, I'm in my like 10th or 11th year in education, and it's my first time switching too. I've always been with the little guys and I'm coming from being a first grade teacher. So I'm now a fifth grade teacher. So it's been, um, it's been very new. How is the jump? Has it been, it felt like a big jump from first to fifth? Yeah, it's totally a huge jump. Like when I was thinking about going to fifth grade, I thought I know the curriculum. Um, the only big difference would be from first grade to fifth grade but at least it's the same curriculum at both schools. And then I got here and it's, not only am I learning the curriculum, but I'm also learning a new district. And you would think because we all live in Illinois, the districts would kind of be very similar, but they're not, they're different. I only am a couple of miles outside of Chicago now, and I feel like a brand new teacher. I can't even believe it. Yeah, fifth grade is, is an interesting age too, right? Like I actually, my senior year of high school, I like taught a bit of, like helped teach some like fifth grade, fourth and fifth grade PE class actually, which was very fun. But like I, I kind of found that 
in my experience, and I've talked to a couple other fifth grade teachers about this too, that that age range is like kind of ideal though, because they're they're old enough, they know how to do everything on their own, they're totally good to go, they're independent, but they're also still kids and haven't gotten completely jaded and sarcastic yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, it's that's the best part of it all. I'm like whenever my friends are like, okay, so other than the newness, like what else? I'm like, I have no complaints about my class. It's the best class I've, I don't want to say I've ever taught. <laughs> we won't tell the last ones, you know, that's fine. They, they probably don't <laughs> listen to the podcast. Um, yeah, they're too little, but no, I'm like, I wish I would have taught fifth grade sooner. I love it so much. Had you spent most of your career then at like around the first grade level then? So originally I started off as a high school English teacher and that's all I had ever wanted to do. Like I've had the most incredible English professors, English high school teachers, middle school teachers, all of my favorite teachers taught English, all of them. And so I always thought I was going to be an English teacher and I started off in high school and I remember I was doing my observations, like the clinicals basically for teachers. And I was in my youngest brother's high school. And he was like quarterback on the football team and super popular. Oh yeah, no big deal. I was, and I'm like 20 years old, 19 years old or whatever. And I remember teaching his classmates class. And then... I guess they drew some pictures and said some things to him and put in his football locker. Oh God. Oh, that's awful. Never went back to teaching high school. He was like, please never come back. And I was like, maybe I'm too close in age. Like I look very youthful. Maybe that's too close in age for me. And I just, I never went back to high school. I always was with middle school and younger from then on. But you found that that actually was a good fit for you then? The high schoolers? Oh, no, no, no. The, the younger kids, once you made that change. Oh, once I made that change, I was like, this is where I need to be. And I thrived. I really loved it. I learned all of the curriculum from like the back of my hand for K through, I want to say, second grade. And then I've switched this year, so... Yeah, the, the teaching like when you're really close in age and when it's like your sibling in the class. We've only had we had one other guest that was like a high school Spanish teacher and like taught like like taught his younger sister in like their like in high school for their Spanish class. And it was like kind of awkward but fun, but you had like I 100% understand how you were just like, yeah, no, never again after that. But that's I ripping. loved it. I was like that's my yeah, that's, rough. that's my dream. And so the craziest part is like now teaching 5th grade, I feel like so many things are starting to come full circle in my career as an educator because oh. I'm getting the confidence, I would say, to be with the older kids. And even though they're fifth graders, they're still a little sweet, they can be quirky and they can be very sarcastic. Yeah. And I have a boy class. So, you know, it's like hashtag boy mama. I'm like, there's so many hashtag boy mamas. Well, guess what? Now we have hashtag boy teachers. So my That's class right. is boy dominated. So it's jokes all day long so you're slowly you know you're slowly making your way back up 
to the older kids. Do you think at any point you ever want to try to dip your toe back into the like high school English age or just we'll see what happens? I mean, we'll see what happens, but that would be my dream to teach adults or high schoolers Yeah, where I started. And I think it's kind of cool. I've been just going through the levels and really, truly seeing how each kind of level develops. And I really like it. It's neat. Not too many teachers switch around a lot. You kind of find your niche and then you stick with it. Yeah. Yeah, my mom was a uh, was a kindergarten teacher forever, and then like over ten years into her career, we're like, "What about middle school art and music?" And she was just like, "I guess we'll figure it out. I guess we have to." And she ended up really connecting with it, really loving that age too. But it's really just like a shot in the dark. Like, oh, I hope this works out. Yeah, because like you're saying, sometimes they're just like, "This is what you're teaching," and that's kind of what happened to me this year. I left the other district that I was in and I was like, okay, well, where do I want to go now? What am I going to do? And my friend was like, oh, we have first grade position. Come teach in my district. And then when the HR was looking through my resume, they were like, actually, we're going to place you here. And I'm like, no, like, please. Like, I really want to go with first first grade I don't want to reinvent the wheel like I don't understand if people truly 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 know the teacher burnout it's unreal these days and so I didn't want to switch everything up and learn a new curriculum and be staying late after work and she was like I promise you like if you teach this class you're really 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 gonna like it and really grow in ways like you wouldn't anticipate yeah I like to gamble every once in a while and I thought okay let's just take a risk like I'm due for one let's just take a risk you mentioned that you've been back in Illinois for the past couple years really since the pandemic started right and that was because you were teaching overseas beforehand and had to to move back it's a it's been a couple years since you had a a major shift but I I was curious to ask before we get into you teaching overseas and everything you had this like huge shift then obviously where oh god I don't want to take anyone back to like the spring of 2020 let alone you're having to like move back halfway across the world as all this is happening I can't imagine how stressful that was but then did you start like immediately when you get got back teaching again or did you have a little bit of a break in there because I'm, I'm trying to picture what the burnout was like for you back then I'm like I have been experiencing burnout as an educator it's just I know we're laughing we're joking I like to have fun but it's really serious like I've been experiencing burnout as an educator since before the U.S. even wanted to admit there was a pandemic going on because I got stuck here for Chinese New Year. I was still living in China and I only happened to come back because my parents were like, girl, how is it all these years? And you always have all of these vacations, but you never vacationed in the United States. And I remember like my partner at the time, he was going, I think it was Spain. He was like, yeah, let's go to Spain. Let's do this. And I was like, 
I don't know, like maybe I had just went to a different trip and my parents were like, oh, there's a ticket in your inbox, a United Airlines ticket for a Chinese New Year. And I was like, no way, like, <laughs> I guess I'm going home. So I just got stuck. I just got stuck and I was teaching my class. China was very efficient in the way they handled at least Shanghai and my school. The way everything was handled, we didn't have a, like that much of a breath. We took about two weeks off when everything was first going down, but we were meeting consistently in those two weeks and we redid our curriculum to teach online. So and in so, that spring, you were still, here, you were, you were still, you were so, in Shanghai yeah, early so on. I'm here. My coworkers are there. My students are there. And it was so crazy because I remember how all of my, um, like families in my class, they were like, you shouldn't go. Like you were just sick. Like, why should you travel again? You got sick coming back from, I had, I'd been in Dubai. They were like, don't go anywhere. Just like stay in Asia. And I was like, no, like this is, everything is so crazy right now. So where yeah. so we all knew what was going on. There were no masks. There was no Lysol. There were no cleaning supplies. Like everything was off the shelves. And this is end of December, early January in Shanghai, China. Yeah. The U.S. didn't say this was a pandemic until March, April. I don't know the exact. So this is giving you like my mindset as an educator and where I'm at for the burnout. This is 2019 going into 2020. Yeah. And so you kept going, you were teaching online oh, yeah. there all the way pretty much through. And then so it, it's... we stopped. So then that's the thing. So I was in a Chinese new year break. No yeah. one was teaching anyways, but we all knew something was going on and it was very serious. And a lot of people were like, not traveling at the time or they were trying to get out right and so i remember um i was i came back i flew back and then two weeks later i was like oh my gosh i have to go back like the classes are starting and at that time china was like no one's going anywhere right yeah the government said we are switching to online schooling and we're going to give it a couple of weeks break while we figure out how to do online schooling but no one is like traveling we're not going to keep spreading this it's already everywhere and so like my boss he's like what are you going to do are you going to come back and i was too afraid like i was just too afraid to be with my roommate just us two my roommate was a british male we were very close we had been roommates for years but it would have just been us too. I was just too afraid to do that. No family, no like friends from home. And so I started teaching in around like February. Yeah. Online. And then you were with that school teaching online, the students in Shanghai, like pretty much through that spring. Well, that every single day I'm, I'm awake Shanghai schedule, which is the total opposite of the schedule in the U S they're 12 hours ahead. And so everything's shut down here. Everyone's like trying to figure out what's going on here. And I'm still teaching. I'm still teaching every single day. And not only that, all of my classes like had to be reworked. Yeah. How did you, even in retrospect, when you think back about that time, like how did you do that? I just had the best team 
the best administration, the best parents, literally, like, it just breaks my heart that I had to leave a school like that. Yeah. Gosh. Oh, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. That's, that was my that's favorite wild. school ever taught at. And you, I would never get what I had ever at that school. What I, like, I could never have it here in the U.S. How do you mean? Just the community or? Everything about it. It's just... I taught at a bilingual experimental international school. So all the kids spoke dual language. They spoke their home language and they spoke English. Yeah. Every single lesson. And they had to speak Mandarin. So that was a whole other thing because some people didn't speak Mandarin. And so every single lesson was taught in both English and Mandarin. So oh, yeah, so they had the same exact um, content, literally, in English as they did in Mandarin. We taught the same thing. Except, so you... obviously, like, not, like, Mandarin and English. <laughs> you know, they had Mandarin in calligraphy class, and then we had, like, an English class. Oh, interesting. So do you have, like, one, like, a teacher that was, like, a part of your group that that spoke Mandarin, or do you speak Mandarin, or? So, um... The foreign team was in charge of all of the foreign talk. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were in charge of their lessons, which there was like a little clash because they liked their office on one side and the school was massive. We had our office on another side, but we always had to check in and like kind of plan, but not plan together because we're teaching the same stuff. But the government tells us what to teach and then like, the admin tell us what to teach based off what the government allows us. So we're all on the same page because there's no, it's a different setup, a different kind of government system and society there in Shanghai, in China. Right. I was curious how, so, so like now you've been, you've been back for a couple of years. Obviously that was such an insanely hectic, stressful time for you then talking about just like teacher burnout. Do you feel like, have you gotten to be in a bit of a better place now than early 2020 or are we still kind of riding the lightning a little bit riding the lightning is definitely a great metaphor that i'm going to use in poetry class tomorrow yeah please um, <laughs> yeah i would say like i was talking about with the old school it's just so so different here like right. there's not as much administration work there because you everything is kind of done for you because it has to be done a certain type of way for their government sure and here it's just like the administrators already have so much work you're doing a ton of administrative work it's just i don't think teaching in the u.s is just teaching anymore from when i first started there's so much more that's on your plate on any given day and so i think that contributes so much to the burnout and where you're just constantly, like you said, just writing that. Right. Cause there's the curriculum stuff, but there's also all of the social emotional stuff that goes on to it. All the other planning stuff that goes on on top of there. And then there's also the, you know, is there adequate compensation for all that extra stuff that you have going on that you're trying to manage at any given point. And on top of that, the general education classrooms, the population is all mixed up nowadays. Everyone almost needs an accommodation in the classroom versus when I first started teaching around 10, 11 years ago, yes, we did have accommodations in the classroom, 
And yes, maybe there needed to be more when I first started teaching, but there wasn't as many. Right. And so now we're just having so many individualized learning plans. And then on top of that, we have my class, for instance, it's a co-taught room. So we have ELL learners, which are English language learners. We also have LSP1 learners, which are special education learners. And we have the general population. And so, yeah. And so I'm in charge of all of that. And yes, do other teachers come in? Of course. Of course. I love my new school because they do have the resources that my old school didn't have to where more teachers can come in and help plan and help teach the lessons. But hopefully you have some... Yeah, professionals, people that come in, hopefully. Whose name is on the door? It's my name. It's Miss Church. These are, this is my class. And so I think too, we're seeing a lot more classes, which I do love. I love that they're, they're all mixed up. And I love that everyone is getting exposed to the general education curriculum. But I'm just saying, we're not trained for that in our teacher programs. And that's really not it's just something that's missing when you're getting trained as an educator and something that you're really not getting compensated for as well. You're just doing so many jobs on top of just the one teaching job because now you have so many different types of learners too. And you really, for me, I really have to make sure all of my learners are in an environment where they have equitable education. Like it's yeah. not going to look completely the same for everyone, but yeah, they, all need, they all need access to the curriculum, all of them. Like right. I, I just wouldn't be able to sleep with myself if I wasn't doing the best I could to reach everyone. Right. And there's actually some new data that just came out a couple weeks ago that was talking about how you know, there's so much more need now than a couple of years ago when you look at like paraprofessionals, people that provide extra support in the classroom for, for kids that need it. So the the need has gone way up, but the supply has gone down. And so you could see how those things get exacerbated in, in classrooms all over the state, all over the country, really. Right. Yeah. And so I think it's just... um because then I always feel bad when I say these things out loud because people are like, well, you signed up for this, you're a teacher. And it's like, no, like you don't understand. People can't even wait to get their kids off of vacation. And now you're telling me all day long, not only am I in charge with their learning, but I'm in charge of all the admin work that goes with it. I'm in charge of their social emotional well-being. I'm in charge with if they're getting hurt and they need a band-aid and they're bleeding, I'm in, and they're emotion, like just their daily beyond the social emotional, just like their daily emotions and how to mold that. It's just, there's a lot of layers and the classrooms are packed with students. Packed. And just the kind of things that have been happening to households since the pandemic, which these households already had very interesting dynamics at a pandemic, <laughs> you know, these kids are really seeing so much at a young age and they're yeah. trying their best in the classroom, but like, you're also navigating that as a teacher. Uh, the person that nominated you told me they shared a, a, a little piece that they had written about you. And so it had a couple quotes of you talking about your experience. 
And one of the things that I, I pulled out and it stuck out to me was that you mentioned that compensation and pay back when you were in China was actually significantly better for teachers than it is in the U.S. too, right? Oh, 100%. 100%. Like I have had to work up so crazy, even though I have the references, the credentials, like it's just what is going on? And I get so, I'm so serious about that. What is going on? You have all of this COVID money. I'm like, can I even say this? This is not by about my district. I don't know too much about them. I'm new. (laughs) But it's like you have all of this COVID relief money. Yes, I understand you're spending it on utilities. You're spending it on new curriculum. You're spending it on this, that, whatever. I totally understand. They also make us take budget class, education budget classes in our teacher preparation program. I understand the budget. Right. You got a master's degree, right? Yeah, I'm working on a second one. Like, come on, stop <laughs> yeah. playing with me. Like, I have two, I have two bachelor's degrees. Like, let's not. You make teachers be so educated, but then you don't want to pay us. Then you don't want to listen to us. You don't want us to lead our classes. And then we have all of these responsibilities. By the time we get our taxes out of our checks, all of the teachers I know have two jobs, if not three. How is that normal and sustainable? Do we feel like with the, like, are we still, do you, and again, just in, in your opinion, do you feel like, are we on a downward trajectory? Does it feel like it's getting worse? Do we feel like it's kind of stagnated at a certain point that it started at, with the pandemic perhaps, or are things maybe slightly getting better? Like, how do you see where things are headed? I think like people are starting to stop caring about the situation, you know, they're fatigued, like nurses have it bad. Um, The postal workers were on strike, you know, there, there's been a war in Ukraine and Russia. Now there's a war, you know, there's so, there's so much going on. People are fatigued about, about anything anymore. And so I think it's now just starting to plateau and teachers too, I think like they're also afraid to speak up because our licenses are on the line. Our jobs are on the line. No one likes a really outspoken teacher. Absolutely. There's so much more to teaching than like I said, teaching. There's politics in play in our jobs every single day. Yeah. So I think... I think everyone is just starting to stop caring because they're just fatigued with the battle. And I totally understand, but I'm not fatigued with the battle. Yeah. I truly, truly, truly believe in helping uplift other teachers because we go into this career totally knowing the situation. We know we're not going to make a lot of money. We really go into it because we love what we do. And I've always said I was going to be a teacher. Always. It's the only thing I've ever wanted to do with my life. And I imagine, again, like you having two bachelor's degrees, a master's, working on your second master's is, I imagine, you wanting to see how much more you can do to try to improve the situation. 100%. Because we deserve so much more and people shouldn't have to leave because we're not making enough money and they can't afford to have a family or afford to even take care of themselves. People have the right to go and teach other people's kids, doctors, lawyers, firemen, nurses, 
garbage men, lunch workers, we're teaching everyone's kids, no matter what social class. We have the right for a livable wage. You mentioned that teaching has always been it for you. This is something that you have always wanted to do as, as far back as you can remember then? Totally, yeah. I've always wanted to be a teacher and a lawyer. So I tried to... <laughs> That has to do with my other other degree, but then I tried to do that. It didn't stick. A, a law? Yeah, it did not stick. There's just something about education, and I love walking into my classroom every single day and getting to talk to my students, learn about the community, learn about their interests. Like, there's one kid in my class right now, the most amazing artist I've ever seen, and I try to not get mad at him because he is doodling all day long. I can't get him to do anything else when I'm talking, but he's very silent. But the thing was, everyone kept looking at all his doodles. And I was, and so I started to give him this little notebook and then a little um, folder, just to start collecting everything. And then I saw, oh my God, this is bull. And I looked through it one day before school and I was like, I have to look up how old you can be to be a Cartoon Network like <laughs> artist. This looks like it should be on Cartoon Network. And I was like, oh my God, the youngest artist is not too much older. And I told him and he was like, that made my day. He hasn't stopped talking about it since. That's like where he's going with his life. He has been trying to get into all of the STEM classes to learn the coding. Like it is just incredible. And I'm like, I love that. I can't believe I did that for him. Like, I'm so excited. And then my class, they're ELL learners, but their writing is insane. It's, I'm just like, when you guys are authors, like, don't forget your teacher. Like, I love going in and knowing I'm really shaping people's lives because you know what? I was a kid that I didn't have too many teachers that really cared about me. I never was really told that I was smart or I have strengths. And you really need that as a child in your educational career because school is mandated by the United States. You're going to be there from the time you're five to the time you're like 18. You really need those teachers that are truly there for you and helping shape where you want to go, whether it's college, a trade, whatever you want to do, like you matter and you have a place in society. And I just... I'm so passionate about going in every day and seeing my kids, no matter how old. Well, it's so interesting on this show, you know, we talk so much about, you know, the educators that have inspired you. And, the, you know, the entire foundation of the show is that everyone has had a teacher that inspired them or helped them get to the point that they are at today. And usually when we ask folks about the reasons that they become teachers, it's, it's one of two things or both, right? It's I had a teacher and I wanted to be just like them. Or I didn't have the teacher that I, you know, and I want to be the teacher that I didn't have. Sometimes it's a combination of those two things. But it sounds like that was something that you grasped from a young age that, like, this is really important. This is a responsibility and that, like, I would like to be that for other people. Yeah, I just feel like I had good teachers, but they did not care about me. And I was always one of the only African-American or I'm Afro-Latina Afro-Latino students, to them, I'm African-American in my classroom. And I just felt like between all of the bullying and other students having their 
family's been a part of the school. And so they're like grandfathered in. I just always felt invisible by some really good teachers. So it's not even that I didn't have great educators around sure. me. It's just like, I wasn't noticed. And on top of that, they allowed a lot of heavy bullying, which tells me I wasn't noticed on purpose. Right. Yeah, I, and I, I did want to ask you, I, again, when I had mentioned that I saw the other piece that one of the other people had written about you, they mentioned that when you were in college, you had also experienced some some racism in those programs as well, right? Yeah, it just never, even as a teacher, it just never stops. Like, I personally feel as a teacher, I get the scraps as a person of color. Hmm. I get the jobs that no one else wants to do or they can't find the teacher to do. I'm curious. I now, never yeah. get like, my first dream like my first pick I never get the teaching position that I apply for ever 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 but even, I mean yeah I mean, that's ever. how we started the, the conversation even a, a little bit right only time well two times I ever got the position was my first teaching job in Shanghai and then my second when I didn't think that I was going to be able to leave the first teaching job um other than that, I've never, in the U.S., I've never had my pick. Like, it's always what the HR is, like, thinks I should do after they fill whatever I wanted to do. Yeah. And I did want to ask about how, obviously, you have tons of experience in education just as someone that was a student and went through education like everyone else does. But then also these, we say about 11 years or so as, as a teacher, about especially now that you've, you've been in that role and you've been able to be, you know, one of the few teachers of color that people might have or, a, you know, that you didn't have very many growing up through your experience. I was curious about how your perspective has, has shifted over your time as an educator, especially when it comes to how important representation is in the classroom and being that for kids in your class that, you know, maybe don't have a ton of teachers of color, maybe don't have any Afro-Latino teachers that they've ever had of what that kind of means to you as you move through your career, as you are that person that has their name on the wall, as you are that person that's up in front of the class. I think it's a heavy burden. Yeah. It is the heaviest burden. Um, as a teacher of color and almost always, except for, I want to say the last two years where I was at a charter, um, I've always been one of the only teacher of color or the only teacher of color. Yeah. And so I take it so seriously because a lot of times this is a child's first interaction with an African-American person, or at least a positive role model unlike a stereotype which they may have seen or a trope in a movie or something like that and right. so it's so it's nerve-wracking like I really try to put my best foot forward all the time um you always like will see me like just try to be really happy with the students even when I have a tough moment like I walk them through my tough moment so I show them how I regulate my emotions and like I it's such a serious, it's, we could go on all day about the weight that that carries, but I'll just say this. I remember one time I wore, it was a few years ago, I wore my hair 
in these like two bonds and it was like very just afro there's like no other word to say I had afro bonds and it was just very poofy that day because it had been raining and snowing and sleeting and one of the students didn't want to go inside of the classroom because of my hair like she hated it she said a racial slur about my hair and it got into a really big deal another little girl had seen the interaction and the little girl waited till all the adults were away and had told the little girl that made me really uncomfortable when you said that to miss mira her hair looks really nice today and i don't understand why you would act that way to her and i just thought it's so important that these children have someone that looks like me in their spaces because this is exactly how allies are born i didn't say anything to that child i didn't tell her to say that to that child that child saw a positive role model and an African-American woman and made her own judgments and checked racism on herself, herself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's such a, you know, again, we talk so much on this show just about the weight of being a teacher generally, right? Like without anything else that we're talking, just in terms of you being in the classroom and, you know, the weight of, you don't know what you're going to say or do in front of some child that they're going to, you know, carry with them. That's going to stick with them for the rest of their life on top of everything else that we're talking about, that extra weight that we're describing right now. Everything is so touchy. It's so political mm. that you're afraid on top of being a teacher of color. I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing to my coworkers. I remember this year when I was interviewing for a new position, I was right at this job. And I remember I asked in the interview, she asked, do you have any questions for me? And I asked a question that I thought was within my rights and I worded it very well, mm. very neutral tone. And she said, that makes me feel uncomfortable that you're coming at me as a black woman, like very harsh. And I just thought to myself, I'm just ask, I'm just asking a question about the job. Like it's I you've been asking me for a whole month of interviews, very tough questions. And finally at the end, I come up with one question and it's touchy and I'm coming off as an angry black woman. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like very touchy. The way I never know what to say anymore. I feel like I'm afraid to even come to admin when I have a problem with something going on because am I going to be an angry black woman? Am I going to be the black teacher that can't collaborate? It's like, then I'm teaching children that don't look like me. So if I say something, they say it at home. The parents are like, why is this black teacher saying this? Like, what is going on? It's so nerve wracking. Sometimes the other day we're talking about Christopher Columbus because we're talking about the oh, early God. wars and someone God. asked a question about Christopher Columbus and the whole, I was literally in my bed tossing and turning because I'm like, I hope I answered that question correctly. I know I'm the only, technically I'm the only African-American teacher. There's a nurse, there's a librarian, right. Technically, I'm the only one. Mm -hmm. so everyone's kind of been like, 
seeing what I'm doing, not in a weird way, but they're just like, hey, new teacher, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, and then I'm the only one that looks like me. So it's the added layer. I hope I said the right thing about Christopher Columbus. And it's just every single day, I'm really hyper aware of everything I'm saying, whether it's with my kids, whether the families, and especially when it comes to my coworkers. Like yeah. it's just unimaginable. People who don't look like me, I know they don't carry these kind of stressors when they're thinking about how to interact or even when they're interacting, because you can tell how I interact with people or how I say things versus other people. It's like very calculated and I'm trying to be upbeat. And then if I do like say something that could be controversial, I'm always apologizing right after or it's just different. Right. And of course, those support systems that are in place, particularly for teachers of color, are not there most of the time because there's also very, very few, you know, administrators of, of color in the buildings. I think the rates are slightly better, but we're talking about slightly better being like, you know, 2% to 4% or something like that. So it's tough, but uh, recently I've met a really, really amazing coworker and I'm so glad to have met her because yeah. she I have not been able to make a really good, solid friend so far um, as since coming back as a teacher. Yeah. And she told me, I just really stopped caring that I'm like a very dark Latina because it was starting to eat at me. Mm. And now I really just talk from the heart and I don't care what anyone's going to say because I prove myself with my teaching. I prove myself with my lessons and how I'm involved with the community and everything else. And just, I'm done caring what everyone else has to say because I know that I'm putting my best foot forward. Right, you know who you are as a teacher and enough experience for the, you know, you mentioned, I think at the beginning of the conversation, like, and you're starting to get more and more confident as a teacher too. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah. trying like, yeah can't really control that much but what's yeah. in my control you know I'm gonna run with it as far as I can yeah and then so do you you mentioned that you've got multiple degrees you've got you know you're going for master's degree number two do you see yourself in administration do you want to be in a more broad role like that I'd probably be like the worst um <laughs> admin like why superintendent be like get this girl away not if you are the superintendent <laughs> I know right oh my gosh no I could not be into like all of I'm just so not competitive at all so the thought of people having to vote for me and run for I think it would be my dream to be on the school board, like to be totally honest. But yes, people got to vote for that too, you know? You got to run for that and too. That's my dream. I think I would love to be on the school board and maybe be um, a curriculum planner or a teacher trainer, something like that, because I love teaching and I love helping teachers. That's one of my ultimate passions. Yeah. Well, Mira, I feel like we have to talk about, we mentioned it, we've alluded to it, we've talked a little bit about that your career has, even though you're like a decade into your career, you've already gone in a bunch of different directions. You've already taught overseas, you already taught in Shanghai. I am curious, like how that all happened is, 
you said you've wanted to be a teacher forever, but what about the teaching overseas specific portion of that? Is that something that came to you later on? Is that something that has always been a dream for you or, or how did that happen? Um, no, I've honestly been really lucky to be a person that always knew, which is also a double-edged sword. Right, um, yeah. I always saw my mom traveling when I was very young and the people around her would travel often. And so that became a really big part of me, just yeah. traveling everywhere and anywhere. And she would try that her best to get us some kind of trip when we were younger as a single mom. So I applaud her. And what was the best, what was the best childhood trip? We got to shout her out here then. That's awesome. Mom, <laughs> my best trip would have to be, it wasn't childhood, but it would have to be in college. Okay, so okay. I know I have a baby face, but that has been so long ago. <laughs> my An audio program. People don't have to know, right? <laughs> yeah, my undergrad. And so I remember for graduation, all of my friends were going to Mexico and stuff. And she was like, well, you can go to Mexico with your friends or you can come with me and your stepdad and we're going to Costa Rica. And I was like, yo, my parents are going to pay for everything if I go with them. So <laughs> So I was like, I'm going to go to Costa Rica. I'll, I've been going to spring breaks with you people for years. Like, we're good. Like, we're all friends. I'll see you in the summertime. And it was my trip to Costa Rica. I remember I was going to go. This was right before graduation. And I was either going to go to law school or I was going to try to teach abroad. Those were my two pathways because I had an international poli sci degree and then I had my like English lit teaching, sure, you know? Yeah. And so I was like, I can go to two paths. Like, where am I going to go? And I went on the trip with that mindset. I was like, what, like what path? And my like Airbnb was by this cute little school by the gym. And my dad and myself would go to the gym and walk past the school and he'd be like, oh, you should do this. Like, I was like, how does he know? Like, wait, he doesn't think I should go to law school either. They know I've been crying in like the mock trials and stuff. Like, oh, cool. no, not crying in the mock trials. Yeah, it's like in oh. front of all my classmates and stuff. Oh, and so, like, I don't know if there's a subset of kids I want to cry in front of less than the mock trial kids. Oh, God. Does he know? <laughs> so I just started kind of saying it on the trip over and over. And I was like, yeah, I think like teaching abroad is going to be awesome. And I applied, like I literally applied when I got back from the trip. I just thought this is what I'm going to do. This was the path that spoke to me and I'm running with it. So was Shanghai just the luck of the draw then? Or how did that come? No, up? I was never supposed to go there. Never. <laughs> um, I was supposed to go to this small town called Kushan. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And my- I'm certainly not going to be the one that corrects you here. You know, I, I'll take your word for it. I'm so silly. Sorry. My kids love it. I'm the weirdest. But You're a fifth grade teacher. It's, it's a good uh, thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> but she, I love her. Shout out Janice Hugh. Shout her out because she really had my back. And at the time, a lot of um, dark skinned people were missing. They were starting to go missing. Like- they were working abroad over there and they were starting to get missing and specifically where I was supposed to go teach. And oh at God. the very last, because I remember it's so hard 
back when I was going to Shanghai in 2016, yeah, which I I now heard it's even worse. You, it's top talent. They're not letting anyone in there. Like they want people with the best grades, good degrees. And I had a degree from Southern Illinois Carbondale. I was at the top of my class, but that was, it wasn't from like Berkeley or UIC. So they wouldn't let me come to Shanghai. And then somehow the recruiter got me in because she said, she was like, girl, like everywhere around you, there's been some serious cases I'm hearing from colleagues and just like rumblings that people that look like you are going missing. Jesus, that's horrifying. It is, but like that happens here too. This is, I don't want to say anything against China because they've been always so good to me. And I know that's controversial, but like I've had my dream career there. And when other people were, you know, looking at me as a black woman and not looking at my talent, but looking at my skin, they looked at my talent. And then, and then we got, once they learned I was black, we got over that barrier. Like it was a surprise for a lot of people, but we addressed that later on. Right. You know, that never like was a barrier to me getting the job. And so she told me, she was like, would you want to go to Shanghai? And I was like, that's where I wanted to go. That's, that's a huge city. And I took the job. I didn't know any Chinese or Mandarin. And I had like two nickels to rub together because I just graduated. But I said, let's do it. That's such an interesting perspective, though, because like, you just went through like teacher training, right? So like, you know how to be a teacher, but also it's a little bit different to do that, you know, where you're in a completely different place with a completely different like language and culture. Like how do you, how do you prepare or how do they prepare you to, to teach in Shanghai? So I just had like a few months. Like I remember I graduated and I took the summer off because like most people do once they graduate and then as soon as I looked for a job, that was like the job. Yeah. Like in September. So mm-hmm. like I literally was like, I was like, okay, this doesn't take that long. And so I had to take ELL classes, like teaching English language learners. Sure. I had to take some like remedial, I want to say early childhood classes and like childhood development through early childhood to teen. Yeah. Um, on that's pretty much it. Yeah. And it sounds like you had an amazing experience teaching there. Oh, totally. It's one of my favorite experiences. I always tell younger teachers um, because I'm a moderator for the Illinois teachers group on Facebook. I tell them all the time, young teachers, don't be afraid to go abroad first because they're going to pay you a lot of money. You can pay off some of your student loans really quickly have a little bit of money to come back with and like start a decent life for yourself. Yeah. And plus you get to, you know, be the travel, the wanderlust and, you know, make incredible friends. I've had the best experiences. I was there for three years when everything went down. And then I taught for from February to, I want to say July is when the school year ended. In- right. They have different times for their schools. And so that was almost four years, you know? Right, yeah. Right, and so it's it's a big part of my career as a teacher. And 
I, I would do it all over again. Would I do it right now as a much older teacher? Probably, I never say never, but. What do you, what do you miss most about Shanghai and about that teaching experience? Um, I think I just miss being paid a fair wage. Yeah, no, that, that's a pretty, yeah, that makes sense. Literally, that's, I feel like I was doing a lot of the same work minus all the admin work. I would have to take papers home to grade. I would have to sometimes make lesson plans at home. Like that's sure. not the issue. The kids are not the issue, no matter the baddiest kid or no matter the most challenging or the most talkative kid, kids aren't the issue. Even dare I say the families aren't the issue. Like, yeah, none of that's the issue to me. It's I'm putting in so much work. Why am I also a bartender? Yeah. Yeah. Like I was a bartender in Shanghai and I'm traveling any second I can get. Even on the weekends, I'm like, hey guys, let's go to Thailand for the weekend, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. And it's not like I'm paying all my bills. I paid off so much of my student loans. I paid for school completely by myself. I've paid off so much of my student loans when I was there. Yeah. So it's just like here, this cost of living is so high. Yes. Is the rent the same in Shanghai as it is in Chicago? 100%. But everything else is relatively cheaper. Food is quite cheap and fresh. Then on top of that, you're getting paid for your degree. And this is a different conversation because we're not talking about natives and what they're making. We're talking about expats who come over and do the same job that they would do in their home country two separate things because I know people come out and say well what about your colleagues we're not talking about my colleagues we're talking about me as an American educator there yeah and then comparing it to being an educator in Chicago right yeah so I just think it was a different like different kind of lifestyle a little bit more gentler on you mentally because you also have a lot of breaks weaved in and then on top of that too it's like more family oriented so people aren't as you know they're not as individualized so it's just different but I I would say I love my school that I'm at now and I'm really lucky to be there it's been exciting this year I'm so happy and it's not to say that I haven't found happiness in Chicago because that would be a lie it's just when I'm talking about like what I deserve I'm not getting as much as what I deserve here as I was there. Yeah. One of the last questions I always, I guess I am curious about when it comes to the future, should we be surprised if, you know, in five years, if Mira is back overseas somewhere teaching, is that something you could see for yourself? I have no clue. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. I don't know. What's something about education you think is more important that people realize who aren't in this every day and something you wish more people knew about? Play. Play, 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 no matter how old. And I love that my class this year embraces that I'm coming from teaching the younger kiddos because they are, and I figured it out. I was like, these kids that I'm teaching now are the same age my kids were when we started being online. yeah yeah they're so playful but we play we joke all day long you come into my classroom and it's j factor baby 
Like we need to play, we need to have fun. We need to build a community to where we feel safe to make mistakes and errors. Because that's learning, making mistakes all day long. Even me, I'm, I misspell all the time. I'm like, okay, who's gonna check? Who's gonna check my spelling? Like, I'll give you an extra point, an extra sticker. Like, we're all making mistakes and I just wanna have so much fun because they're also learning. We open one book, we close one book. I don't know when education got like that. I remember playing all the time when I was little and my teachers, they had the best like project-based learning activities. Like we had an activity for everything. Now it's like, right, 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 right. Open this book, close this book, right, 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 right. Open this book, close this book. So for me, I'm gonna make it fun all day long. I ordered little berets, we're doing poetry. We're about <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, we're having a poetry slam. They've been writing the silly, the most silly, best emotional poetry. And, you know, I can't wait to make it fun and put it all together for them. I love that. Yeah. And again, just to echo that last thing that you were talking about, like I was literally just having that conversation with a middle school teacher, a middle school art teacher the other day, too, where it's like, I know that learning is serious. I know we're trying to create in like productive members of society that are informed and are learned, but like also these are children. We have to remember that we're dealing with kids and we need to let them play. We need to let them, you know, be creative. And just, again, remember, we are dealing with children. This is supposed to be fun. They're supposed to be open-minded. Because I don't know when also this shift came to where everyone's going to college. I'm sorry, but not everyone's yeah. going to college. And so we don't need, everyone does need the academic skills to succeed. That sure. can get you anywhere. You need to read a sign while you're traveling. You need to re learn how to write an email to your boss. Like everyone needs that basic foundational level. Yeah. Always be so serious to always have to think about your future in terms oh, that's of- that's exhausting. Yeah, like no way. Like let's also remember that they're people too and they have interests. They have hobbies. Like as an adult, when was the last time you practiced your hobby? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying out here. I'm trying. I I, I can kind of play the piano, Mira. I'm oh, trying. Oh no, uh, <laughs> personal nerve. <laughs> we're all we're all doing our best, you know. You know. Yeah, you know. But that's what I'm saying. It's like because once you get to be an adult, it's so hard. Like they're still children. Yeah. They really need to be nurtured. Absolutely. Well, Mira, that was all I had for you. That that was all the questions I had. Thank you again so much for being so kind and so generous with your time and all of your stuff. Again, we know that you've got your hands full. We know that you're very busy teaching, trying to, you know, being fun, having, you know, having a great time with your kids every day. But thank you for spending an hour with me afterwards and, you know, talking about yourself, talking about your experience. I It was a pleasure to, to get to talk to you today. Yeah, thank you for having me on and hearing my voice. It was so much fun. Thanks so much for listening to Teacher's Lounge. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on the show. It's how we get all of our great guests like Mira. Send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. 
And wherever you're hearing this podcast, please do subscribe, leave us a rating, share, whatever you can do. It really is the best way to get even more perspectives on this show. You can also subscribe to the Teacher's Lounge newsletter to keep up to date with everything having to do with the show. You can find a link to do that on this episode's page over at WNIJ.org. A big thank you to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ups for the awesome music you hear each and every episode of this show. A big thank you to Spencer Tritt for making our Teacher's Lounge logo. I've been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with a brand new Teacher's Lounge very soon. See ya.